Hey companions, uh, this is Peter. And this is Tom. And this is a pre-recorded episode from our former feed, TV Ape My Brain. So uh, this episode is still there, but we decided to put these on Cobra Kai Companion, so that way you guys get to hear all the stuff that we have done previously. Yes, basically it's the same uh, Tom and Peter, same show, just a little bit more directly uh, fed to you. And here it is. This is Martin Cove, a.k.a. John Cleese from The Karate Kid, and you're listening to TV8, My Brain. And if you're not listening to it, there's no mercy for you or anyone else who doesn't listen to TV8, My Brain. Got it. Welcome to TV Ate My Brain, the official TV podcast of Core Temp Arts, the Cobra Kai edition. And I am Peter, also host of Podstalgic. And I'm Tom, uh, also co-host of a little show called Jake and Tom Conquer the World. And I don't know, Tom, I think you need to pinch me because we just had a an amazing interview uh, with yeah. one Mr. Martin Cove and his partner, uh, Mr. Logan Clark. I don't know how to describe it other than saying that these guys are just awesome. I mean, very laid back, very incredibly friendly, down to earth, well-spoken, and uh, just full of great stories. Incredible stories. And he is such a professional. I kid you not, ladies and gentlemen. I had So Tom and I, we wrote down a bunch of questions to ask. We We are to alternate. Mr. Martin Cove is such a professional. He was answering like most of my questions, so I, I I barely had anything to ask. I know it was uh, this. I mean, I've been lucky enough to do a, a good amount of interviews with a wide uh, a variety of uh, people in the entertainment industry, and this might be the easiest interview I've ever done because it's like I was saying to you off mic. After a while, I just wanted to kind of kick back and listen to his uh, stories and just let him go because the guy is entertaining as get all. I mean, yeah, just just a really cool dude. Yeah, he he really is. And anytime he started answering some of our questions that we had already typed up, I was uh, I had a a secondary question I would ask, and then he'll answer that too. Yeah. I'm just yeah. like Jesus, like <laughs> the the guy the guy's a pro. He really is. Uh, so, you know, he talks, uh, you know, Mr. Logan Clark joined uh, the conversation to talk about their uh, CBD pain relief cream, um, which is called, you know, Marty's Cobra Cove. And, you know, Mr. Cove himself talks about his career, the early days, some stories with some amazing A-listers that you guys will all be familiar with. Talks about Tarantino's new film that he's in. He told us everything, Tom. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I think he even agreed to let me buy him a drink if he ever comes to Detroit again. He did. He did. <laughs> Which uh, I will I'll go ahead and tease now some of that stuff that, um, well, that particular part is probably left out of the main conversation. Uh, but if you guys stay to the very end, I may throw in, you know, not bloopers, but a couple stuff that, again, wasn't part of the main conversation. It was just fun stuff that we thought was really funny. We just will throw in at the end. So um, I don't know, Tom, if you got anything else, I, I think we'll just go ahead and start the conversation. Yeah, let, we've teased it enough. Here we go.
Um, as far as myself, you, you're you're probably going to think I'm buttering you up, but I'm actually <laughs> really eager for season two because I want to see things from hopefully Crease's point of view and get maybe some more backstory on him to find out exactly what makes him tick. Well, they're writing that as they speak, as we speak. I haven't gotten any information from them other than you know I say are we planning to be a good guy or a bad guy, and they all smile at each other. The writers who are most they're really <clears throat> terrific, articulate characters. And uh, Josh, uh, Josh Whedon and um, uh, 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 Josh Whedon and um, John. Uh, I'm leaving town for 12 days. And my brain's a little fried. <laughs> um, John Hurwitz, yeah, Hurwitz. John Hurwitz, right. So, um, so you know, they're fantastic. And you know, they proposed this to Ralph and Billy and I. And um, they wanted me to come in on the 10th episode. And, and I said, why can't I come in on the 5th or the 6th? And they <laughs> said, because you're going to set up season two. And I said, oh, really? That was back in September. And uh, they just, you know, motivated themselves to find out everything about our characters better than we, better than our knowledge of our own. You know, to me, to me, it's, it's it's as exciting. Research and development of a character is at times more exciting than the event of acting. And um, it's really interesting because looking back at John Kreese, <clears throat> you know, he was such a, even though everybody loves to hate him and all that, you know, and they respect him. And whenever I would go out with Sly, you know, and whether I was doing Rambo or something else, people would challenge him a lot based on Rocky, whatever, but they, they never challenged John Kreese, you know? There's never someone coming up and saying, hey, man, you know, how good are you in karate? You know, you right. want to go around? They've never done that. <clears throat> and the reason why is I think that people love to hate this guy or they really respect him, you know? Mm. But no matter what it is, it's quite interesting um, because it would be great to have some moments of vulnerability in this coming season. Because I know very little about what their plans are, but he's not as masterful in a sense. He's, he doesn't have it all together as, as it always appeared in the movies. You know, there's a little more to him, which is great. There's more to the character. And I really love that stuff because I love to play vulnerability and don't get a chance to play it very much, you know? Yeah, I, I am very interested because I've always had the feeling that real good villains they aren't born villainous they're made into villains and i'm i've always wondered what it was about john crease that you know set him on that path well i created my own backstory with john and then even created you know i mean for all the move for all the movies the, the backstory was kind of a common knowledge that you know he was a, a a great champion in high school and college and all that and, and in the marine in the army for karate and you know he was just terrific and then when he went to to vietnam he wasn't allowed to win like so many of our boys were they were not not allowed to win just with politics because it was such a political war so he swore that he would never experience that emotionally again and ultimately ultimately vowed and created cobra kai um and that's what he endorsed and you know basically um drove to the ground the concept of mercy is for the weak 
here and on the streets. Someone confronts you, he is your enemy. An enemy deserves no mercy. And basically, he lived by that code. And it'll be really interesting now to, you never lose that, but it'll be really interesting now to see what they have planned of how he vacillates between them. I mean, the most interesting bad guys I've ever seen are Klaus Maria Brandauer in the Bond movies or in, in that wonderful picture he did with, um, with um, Bobby Duvall. Um, it was a remake of Key Largo, I think it was called. Oh, oh yeah. But it was a remake of Key Largo. And he played like, you know, he played the Edward G. Robinson role. And he was brilliant. But it was that, that you know, Anthony Hopkins kind of, you just love to hate them. And it's right. you, they're eating your skull for dinner. And it's done with such... It's done with such savoir-faire. It's done with such elegance that you, you want them to eat your head. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You, um, you kind of mentioned something that I, I wanted to touch on be- before I forget, but you mentioned Bond. Now, you have a story uh, about uh, playing tennis with uh, Sean Connery, don't you? Oh, yeah. That was a great story. And I don't know if I can say all the things that went on on the air. <laughs> With the vernacular. The vernacular is somewhat so I'll substitute the vernacular. But you know, I was Sean Connery stand in I was to stand in in a movie called The Anderson Tate, nineteen seventy two. One of the first jobs I ever had. And um, and then one day it was like six eighty four, eighty five and I'm in out here in West LA and and um, I was looking for a uh, a partner to play tennis and he was there it was right opposite fox on motor avenue and we decided to play a little bit and i walked up to him first and i said do you remember me you know i, I was just standing in the anderson tapes and he looked at me he says no i don't you know <laughs> and and i said oh okay but we can play anyway so he gets on the court and he wasn't very good because his back was bad and this was the beginning of the guy really getting a really you know instrumentally he just had a bad back and played golf for a while now I don't think he plays anything and he's retired but anyway he was missing the ball a lot and I'm hearing on the other side I can't use the words he used but it was like you know fuck dumb bitch bastard and he's screaming worse than that and I'm cracking every time he missed the ball I would scream the lowest form of humanity. The words were really bad words. And, and, you know, and yet I was dying on the other side, laughing and cracking up. And I tell this story and the bottom line was in my head, I was saying, I'm playing tennis with James Bond. Right. And he curses and is vile a mouth as me, a broken boy. You know, and I didn't even go to the dark side like he did, but he was, he was having a hard time hitting the ball back. And it was so much fun that this was James Bond, you know, the epitome of the elegant agent. And he and I, and he's screaming and yelling in this public park because he's missing the ball, you know, and he's screaming out, you know, heavy duty vulgarity. But, oh, you know, he's so another guy. Real. And, you know, eventually I sent him a script for something for the Brian Baru project. And um, he, he turned it down because my friends were looking for someone to play Brian Baru for the, the book Morgan Llewellyn wrote about the conquest of the Vikings in, in Ireland. 
Anyway, you know, he was a lovely man, extremely talented fellow, and I miss the fact that I don't see him on on the screen anymore, you know? Oh, yeah. That's an amazing story. <laughs> I went to the gun range with Pierce Brosnan years ago, and it was the same oh, wow. kind of a flash. You're, you're at the gun range, you know, and you're with Pierce, and you're there, and you're shooting different guns and everything, and you would kind of look over, and you go, God, I'm here with James Bond on the... <laughs> it was a kick real kick we did that it was fun but anyway i know what you mean it's very surreal yeah it's really surreal and you, you kind of wonder you know these cats have been through so much you know everybody everybody in hollywood wants to be a star everybody you know they they, they, they sometimes they go to class sometimes they don't sometimes they think it's it's you know autographs and sunglasses right. sometimes they have the wrong idea about how tough the work is um we were talking about this earlier and you know, people like, people like, I, I remember asking him back on the set of Anderson tapes, what was it? 13 years earlier. I remember asking him and I said, you know, I was accepted to the fifth year of NYU to the school of the arts. And, um, I've also been accepted to a classical repertory company. And I remember, he didn't remember me asking him because God knows it's been 13 years of people coming up to you and saying, I love your work. So you don't really remember who's who, but I remember his reply was, he says, young man, if you can do Antigone, you can do anything. <laughs> and meaning if I could do the classics, right. I could do anything. So forget about going to school and join the repertory, which I did. And, um, um and James Mason and I posed the same question too. About a month later, I saw him at the airport, and he was also very elegant and and sincere. He said the same thing, you know, go out there and play with the big boys. So, is anybody just anybody listening who's an actor? If people don't hire you down the line, keep the dreams going, and it's their mistake, not yours. Right. Right. Now, also on the call, uh, we have a, a friend of yours, a, a partner, uh, Mr. Logan Clark. Uh, what can uh, you two gentlemen tell us uh, about Marty's Cobra Cove? Go ahead, Logan. Tell, wow. Let him know that Sean Connery has nothing to do with Cobra Cove. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sean has nothing to do with it. <laughs> Marty's Cobra Cove is a CBD cream with a pharmaceutical base and all the oils like eucalyptus and lavender and the different ones. And we spent a year and a half, two years, Marty... Um, had an injury, which I'll let you tell him, he'll tell you about, but he had come to us because we knew I actually got hired by some foreigners to check into the CDB, um, business and look into it and find out if it was real or not. All these things, this is back in 2010 or 11. If all these things were true that they were talking about and that it stopped the shaking of Parkinson's and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And this was right before Charlotte's Web started. But anyway, we wanted to design it right, and we worked with um, a chiropractic, a chain of chiropractic offices that had deep tissue massage, and the chiropractors, pharmacists, doctors, all kinds of people developing this so that it doesn't have that. Most CBDs are oily and leave a real residue on them to get on your steering wheel and your clothes. 
and beyond you know working good they're they're just they're just uncomfortable to use and we wanted to get rid of all that and it's the response is phenomenal from it marty got hurt he told he'll tell you he had a real major accident which we're working on with the cream but we got to go a little bit deeper than that marty tell them about your accident that you had this is could have been well, a long long time ago. 1989 i was i just finished six years in cadmium lacy and a year of hard time on planet earth and i went scuba diving and um in in the keys in florida and uh we were in a shallow area and i went down um, with a hose because it was only 12 feet but it was a lot of great artifacts down there it was all treasure hunting and and you know, you find great bolts and and you'd find all kinds of cannonballs and things but unfortunately i they started up the engine didn't know i was nearby and sliced about a 12 inch gap in my right forearm oh, so you know, I, I had bolts put in and all this. And over the years, you know, the <clears throat> atrophy that goes on. And um, it affected, you know, the, the ulna and a variety of places. But the weakness, you, you understand the weakness. <clears throat> you can deal with that because you've sliced into bone and you had it put together with bolts. And years went by and it bothered me a little bit, but I was always able to cope. And I went on to do lots of movies and stuff. That was 1989. And then eventually the, the, the muscles started bothering me. The muscles started atrophying and the, the ulna and the shoulder. And I ultimately needed, it was a lot of weakness setting in. I needed shoulder replacements. So I went in for shoulder replacements and had the rotator cuff worked on. But, you know, I don't contribute the relief that the Mars Cobra Cove gives to bone on bone situation. I think that's working out and that's just how God treats your body. Because when you overdo it and you rock and roll and you're landing on your shoulder and you're landing doing stunts, you know, and you're, you're doing all these great things going down suitcases with the, you know, the Oakland Raiders going down suitcases in celebrity snow events. I mean, at even 62 miles an hour going down a hill with these crazies and you get you know, you do all those things as an actor and you're willing to, especially as a young actor, you're willing to do a lot of stunts and prove because you don't have a lot of lines and you're just learning about, you know, films. And so, you know, throughout the seventies, I would just do fight scenes that yeah. I overlooked. And then when I see them in retrospect, white line fever, Capone, God knows how many movies I see myself landing. I see myself get taking a punch in a movie and going up, lofting myself in the air, and then coming down. Well, no more would I loft myself up in the air than I would eat than right now than I would you know eat uh, acid, drink acid. You know, I would just you know fall down. You get hit in the movie, you fall down. You don't loft yourself up so you can prove that you're good physically and you can handle some embellishment for the scene. Anyway, the bottom line was there was a lot of ailments, and I, you know, met Logan. Logan told me about this product, and I had my doubts because I tried a lot of things to ease the muscle ailment, to ease the muscle tone, and just, you know, not have pain extending my arms to the right and left when I sleep. These are things that muscles hadn't healed correctly around 
rotated cuffs because I was always doing something to aggravate them, you know. And this product works. It just limits. It limits the the ache, the pain. It's not like trying all the things we learned about before, you know, the essence of CBD, and it really really allows it to be absorbed into the skin, into the muscle, and it, it does its magic. And, and I we believe, have CDB receptors in our body. You know, they were there when we were born. They just, you know, have to get used to accepting it, you know, in, into your body, and it works for pain. Yeah, it, it really does, and I don't, I don't know enough about, you know, the, the body is so complicated, and I've been to Cleveland Clinic and I have been to Mayo Clinic. I've gone there to try and figure out why I don't have the muscle mass I used to have. And nobody came up with any answers. But the relief, the relief of the achy muscles around the spots. In other words, I didn't have the big muscle mass that I had when I was working out and doing those movies in the 80s and 90s. But I had muscle. But it hurt. The muscle hurt, and it was aching. And this product stopped it from aching. It didn't erase bone on bone. Huh. But it would be a much bigger problem. Yeah. You know, to be perfectly honest, this is the best product I've ever tried, and I've hurt myself from playing soccer goalies to baseball to tennis to doing my own stunts to, you know, playing with my kids to, you know, doing films in the Philippines like, like Logan you know I mean those are places they tell you it's going to be okay and then all of a sudden five bodies fall on you from a hilltop right you know and it has nothing to do Gun, with it. yeah they shoot guns through the wall they actually use real bullets because oh, it's God. cheaper than the squib oh yeah it's man. cheaper than the squib and then if someone gets hurt if it's not an American they replace them for ten bucks you know <laughs> yep and that's what it is. That's just what it is. But, you know, that has nothing to do with this, our product. The product really is, is terrific because it just works. And, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not into AMA products. I'm really not into pouring a lot of chemicals into my body. And, um, yeah, I, the I, opioid I, crisis is so bad. Oh, yeah. yeah. Pain pills. Yeah. People on pain pills now for everything, anything you can do that is natural and, and, you know, not getting into opioids and stuff. It's just, and our response is just, is, is, I mean, when doctors and athletes on our website, you know, when people go to our website, MarisCobraCove.com, they see letters from doctors and weightlifters and stuff that just, you know, swear by it. And we, 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 it, it started working so good, we just decided, well, we got to put this out. <laughs> Let's get it out of the market. I know. So it's a great cream. We're having a good time with it. It's got a great website. And you should ask Marty about what he's doing lately in the Tarantino movie he just finished. Yes, yeah. Uh, well, you mentioned that you were doing research. Uh, that's one of your favorite parts of uh, movies, almost more so than acting. Um I've tried to do a little bit of research on your role, but I can't even find the name of a character. And I was wondering if maybe you can shed some light on that or maybe shed some light on what kind of research you did for that because obviously it's based on very true events. Well, that, that, the entire movie is based on true events from... Um, it's all very secretive, number one, so I must say that. You know, okay. No one gets a full script 
you only get your scenes with your name across the, the, the page. And um, you have to turn in your cell phone when you go on the set. But there isn't anybody I'd rather work for than Quentin Tarantino. Hmm. You know, he is just so much fun. Uh, you know, I played a character that was a sheriff and did my, my scenes with Leonardo DiCaprio. And it's the story of a sort of a promo for a TV series that he's going to do, you know. And okay. it takes place in Hollywood in the 60s about actors and the trials and tribulations of actors and the life in the 60s. And this is what I surmise because I have not read the script because it's not been available to me. But the, the greatest thing in the world is working with a man like Quentin Tarantino, who just, I wanted to work with him three years ago and I didn't. And could, and then he, big fan of Cobra Kai, big fan of mine for years. Oddly enough, the movie he loves the best is a movie that we did in the Philippines, that we did called oh, Firehawk. This thing oh. I did in 1992. Oh, yes. I mean, it's garbage. It's garbage. Yeah. But, I mean, but, but he loves it. And he thought I was brilliant. He said so in front of 500 people at a screening. I told you that story. Yeah. So, you know, the bottom line is he's a film encyclopedia. And our scene was, you know, was almost was done and, and choreographed as if we were doing my darling climbing time with Henry Fonda and the famous scene where his feet are up against the post and his chair is, is you know, leaning backwards and he's playing wide up. Well, it was the same scene. We both paid homage to something we know well and love Westerns, and he loves Westerns. And uh, Quentin just, you know, finishes shooting, and he turns around and he says, I think I got it, you know, but we're going to do another take. And why? Because, and then the entire crew screams, because we all love to make movies. Oh, that is awesome. <laughs> That's amazing. And, you know, this is what goes on. This is two weeks ago I did it. And you feel n nothing but happiness that you're included in that wonderful, wonderful um, ensemble of talent. Al Pacino was on the set, and, and Brad was on the set, Brad Pitt, and, you know, I met these guys one time or another, but the bottom line is everybody's happy that they're working for Quentin Tarantino. And that night when I got home, what did I see? Inglorious Bastards. Oh, on TV. Awesome. I mean, every I'm Jewish, so every every Jew wished that that really happened to the high, Nazi high oh, command. You that know? that is awesome. And that producer is now on my film, Marty. Yeah, I read it. I remember you Erica told me. Stein, yeah, Erica Steinberg. He's now a producer on my film. It's great. I love it. Well, you know, they, they, he makes just good movies. As far back yeah. as Reservoir Dogs, to this awesome. day. To this day, I don't remember laughing harder than I did in 1996, 96, 97 on Pulp Fiction. The scene, it was the scene in the, in, you know, in the car when the guy gets blown his head oh, off. And, yep. Yeah. Yeah. and Sam, They're arguing, arguing about, you tell me I can't drive? Are you telling me I can't shoot? You know? <laughs> and the, the guy's brains are all over the back window. You know? But... It's just, it's just so bizarre, but yet so funny. And he's great. He's a, he's, he's a rock and roll, you know? And it's, it's, I wish there were more directors that we all can work for because it makes, 
makes all the pain of being in this business makes it makes it all easier. You know, the rejection makes it, it makes it all easier. You know. Now, on one hand, I'm really looking forward to this movie. Uh, just because Tarantino is probably my favorite current uh, director. I mean, I, I would put him right up there with Scorsese. But on the other hand, I'm kind of kind of leery because this is his ninth movie, and he said that after his tenth, he's done. And it's kind of like a, a a book that you're reading that you love, and you don't want it to end. That's that's kind of how I'm feeling with Tarantino's uh, career right now. I tell you, I believe it depends on how well the post production and production goes, because he really loves making pictures and I wouldn't second guess him because he's, you know, he's a man's man, but, um, he's a man of his world. But the bottom line is how many football players retired and came back? Yeah. How many yeah, Michael, Michael Jordan Jordans went to play baseball? Yeah. Michael Jordan went to play baseball. Maybe worse. He didn't retire. He went to play baseball and then he came back <laughs> and then he yeah. came back and then he did three years of brilliance. Yeah. So I kind believe yeah, I just believe, and I'm reading that book now about uh, Kobe Bryant's um, life coach and Michael Jordan's coach. They were the same fellow. And um, it's really, really interesting. It just, as any artist, if you can't reach a saturation point, if you can't reach a point of being satisfied with your work, whether you're you know, Anthony Hopkins, Bobby De Niro, whomever, if you, you just keep striving for more and more and more despite how good you are in, in certain projects it's because it's never going to end in other words you're never going to be satisfied and it, not that it's a bad thing it right. doesn't allow oneself too much um peace to be perfectly honest but the bottom line is is that you're always looking to better yourself and the project until you die more so, difficult parts, more di yeah, absolutely more difficult characters, more complicated characters. So, so the, the reason why I bring that up is, who's to say if Quentin doesn't think this movie is his best, he's not going to retire. <laughs> you know, if he thinks this is the best, then maybe he'll go and make an, something that is of a different genre because he's conquered the western, he's conquered the World War Two drama, he's conquered this contemporary piece. You know, he's conquered the, the, the gangster movies between Reservoir Dogs and, you know, and, and the local, you know, drug addict lunatics like in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. So, he, you know, he not, and there's talk of him doing Star Trek. So, yeah. so the bottom line is he's not done the Star Trek. He's not done the special effects gig. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, it's up in the air because these cats are the best people to work for because what's important is the art form. Not the paycheck, not the names, not you know the, the the putting your girlfriend in the lead. It's all about the work. Yeah, I mean, he even did uh, martial arts with the Kill Bill movies. Oh yeah, he definitely. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And he and he didn't want to do it, and he did not want to do it in one volume for whatever the reason was. That decision. I don't know when that decision was made to do two movies, but he did not want to sacrifice one picture and not get everything he needed, whether it was story or whether it was, it was, uh, you know, it, well, it had to be story. So, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't compromise and try to do it all in two and a half hours or something. He says, we got to make another movie. And I bet you the Weinstein brothers didn't like that. I guess they didn't like that. <laughs> 
You know, they didn't care much for that decision, but they had confidence in this guy being a genius. And they were right. Speaking of martial arts, I want to kind of transition to uh, Karate Kid a little bit and, and the character of uh, Sensei Kreese. Um, I've heard that you were initially supposed to be the sole antagonist in Karate Kid 3, but they had to write in the part of Terry Silver due to other commitments you had. Do you remember how different the movie was originally supposed to have been prior to the addition of that character? Well, you know, I think Terry Silver's character, John, you know, um, Thomas Dean Griffin, was, you know, he, he, he did a decent job. He did a decent job. He's, you know, he's a wonderful writer, great martial artist, and pianist, a classical pianist. But you can't, the movie for me suffered, and, and John Avelton didn't like it at all. The movie for me suffered because you can't disenfranchise the villain. You can't take Darth Vader out of Star Wars and, uh. and substitute him with some Viking, you know? I mean, you just, you can't do it, you know? You, right. you just can't do it. And that was the problem with that movie. Even though there were a lot of good points about that picture, you know, I, I think everybody liked it less, certainly less than the first one. Um, and it made less than the first two. And so I do believe, and, and it, it was unfortunate because I got a TV series that my agent told me he could always get me out of so I could do the movie. And I really felt that I let down everyone. I was I was in tears when I was in the, in the room with Jerry Weintraub and Mike Nathanson and and head of business affairs and, and the ADs and, and John Avelson. And, you know, the AD said we could do it. We could still do it. And it was a great script. It was my vehicle. It was all about how I created the sting and trained both kids. And it was very well done. And Robert Kamen told me all about it before I even read it. And it sounded great. And then all of a sudden the agent couldn't get me out of the series deal. And I was the only actor. And I got on the phone with, Myself, that day, from that office, I'll never forget it, I got on the phone with um, Jeff Katzenberg, and I'll never forget what he said to me. He says, it's a Disney series, you're the star, you're the alien that comes down to the planet, and he says, we've got an air date of March, we need to start in December, and you're the only star, and don't get me wrong, Martin, I love you in those Karate Kid movies, but we can't change a thing. So, the rest was history, you know, and uh, I kind of, you know, felt like I let down my friends, but I, I was contractually stuck, just like Tom Selleck was contractually stuck to do uh, Magnum, and, and Stephen and George wanted him to be Indiana Jones, and he couldn't get out of it. Not to say he hurt nine years, 11 years. And, right, but yeah, that's true. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so it's just, you know, it's like feast of famine. You know what I mean? Yeah, you never know. You just don't know. So and then you it, do one that you, you're positive is going to be a huge hit, and it dies. You know, it's yeah. nothing. <laughs> that was it. I, I, I remember thinking Steel Justice was going to be this big deal. Yeah. And, and when I went to the screening, I'll never forget this, I hated the music so much. Hated the music. And... I went to the screening by myself in New York because I was going to see James Orr Jones and he had given me tickets to Fences that day on Broadway. Right. And my, it was with my wife and myself and we went to a five o'clock screening and then we would leave at seven and go to the play. I was so emotionally distraught 
after seeing this movie because of the music, a movie that I was my first romantic lead, my first action thing alone, wasn't with Stallone, it wasn't with anybody else, and boom, I just was crying in the theater because I thought my career was over. And then then the movie went on to make money. It did okay. I went to Fences that evening. We, I, I never forget this. We left. I was so upset. I couldn't even think of anything else. We left this brilliant, you know, Wilson play wow. with, with, with um, James Earl Jones doing brilliance on stage in the first act. We left it intermission, and I never went backstage to even thank him for the tickets. Oh. That, that's how far oh. gone I was. Yeah, the scene. yeah, so that's how emotionally involved we get with, yeah. with our projects, you know? Just what happens to the actor. Same thing happens to the musician. You know, you just do what you can do. Um, I've heard a couple of uh, conflicting stories about when you were first approached for, uh, with the role of uh, John Kreese. One story I heard was that you were given the script and you thought it was okay, but nothing really special. And then the other version I heard was that you were initially passed over due to some photos. Um, I-, I was just wondering which story was true and if maybe you could shed some light on how you got that role. Do you know that story? Have you ever heard that story? No. I know you got this. God, all these stories are coming up. God. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I, you know, until I do these radio shows and TV shows, I, I, I never think about that. All you think about is, what's the next one? What's the next <laughs> project? You know, you don't think about all the stuff that's come through your life. And my, my son tries to remind me of that, you know. Yep. But that, that one was a good one because that one... I, he, he overlooked my picture and a friend of mine came to the house one day and he says, you should go up for this role. And I said, what, you know, what is it? And he says, this, they want the guy, they think I'm too frail looking. They want a really strong guy for this movie, Karate Kid. And so I called, I called the agent. The agent said, no, he passed on you. Didn't like your picture. So then I called my PR guy and I said, you know, the casting woman and this project, can you finesse and get me in there? And he, he did, and he did, she did him a favor, even though John Avelson passed over my 8x10. And those were the days when, you know, used to be an 8x10. Anyway, the bottom line is, I get the script. She gives me the script. She said, you meet the director in, um, at the end of the week. So that was Monday. All of a sudden, I get a call Tuesday morning. It's now or never. You got to come in and see him. You got to come on the set. Come on the set. I just got the script yesterday. Jesus. <laughs> he says, you got to come on the set. I'll never, uh, I remember her saying to me twice, it's now or never, it's now or never. So I'm livid. So I go to my wife and I say, you know, these people are impossible. And I was really angry. And she says to me, I want you. And it's the scene was marching up and down the dojo. Mercy is for the weak, hearing on the streets, you know, all that in, in the dojo the first time you see me. So that's the scene. And, I, and she says, you how you feel about these people and tell them how you feel about them. Feel, you feel this venom. Just, you know, recite those lines with all that anger that you feel right now, that you've got to go in at 12 o'clock and do this. Right. And I said, okay. So I go in there. And I'm, Carol Jones is there, the casting woman, and John Avelson. So I say, you know, John, you're a real asshole. We wait for years to meet directors of your caliber. And we fire our agents and we fire our managers just to meet guys like you because they don't ever give us a chance to do that in the A market. But you're a real asshole. And so are you, Carol Jones. Mercy is for the weak. <laughs> here on the streets. I go right into it, right? 
stops me, he loves me, sends me to Jerry Weintraub. Jerry Weintraub's four days late to the meeting. So I finally get to the meeting with Weintraub, standing in there, and I say, I got nothing to lose. I'm on a hiatus from Cagney and Lacey. I don't even like, I don't even like the title of this movie. And this just sounds like a Bruce Lee picture, and I'm playing just another bad guy. So I say to Jerry, you know, Jerry, we wait to meet producers like you, and you're four days late for this meeting. You're a real asshole, and so are you, Carol Jones. Mercy is for the week, blah, 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 blah. Stops me halfway through, says, go see Guy McElwain. Guy McElwain's the head of Columbia Pictures, right? So I, go, I have to go see Guy McElwain now, and he's not in his office, so I have to do it through a tape. So I get all upset, screaming and yelling in the bathroom, go on the set with Pat and Rita, they film it, they send it to McElwain, who was never going to say no anyway, if Jerry and John right. wanted me. So ultimately got the part. That was the, you know, and, and right now in my library, I'm looking at the video of this screen test because someone sent it to me, a VHS of it. But that's the honest truth about how Great I got the part. You know? Great story. That is amazing. Now, are you surprised at the longevity of the Credit franchise? Like, what, what do you think is about these movies and characters that continue to draw new generations to them? Um, the fact that we go on panels all the time, and we do a variety of things on panels, and it's always the same stuff comes up all the time. It comes up that they love Karate, they love karate Kid because they were a fish out of water in 1984. They had a romance that didn't work. Well, they were bullied. That's it. One of those three was always pertinent to Uh someone who loved the show, someone who recommended the show to their kids and their kids. And, you know, I've done so many different events for children and kids walk up to you and say, my daddy says you're, you are uh, a iconic villain and I should take a picture with you. I mean, kids don't even know how to spell iconic, you know? (laughs) You know, great. But, but the bottom line is it meant a lot to a lot of people. And over the years, they related how much it meant because you'd see it occasionally on TV and cable and all that. And then, you know, it, it would play all the time and, and, you know, on television. And it would it had so much for so many people. And there are so few movies that we can consider classics now. Yeah. I mean, if we wanted to say in the 40s and the 50s, you know, you, you, you could say Casablanca, Maltese Falcon, uh, Treasure of a Sierra Madre, guys like Cary Grant and James Stewart and, and Humphrey Bogart were privileged enough to have four, five, six classics to yeah. their belt. Nowadays, maybe Harrison Ford's got the most, you know, or, mm-hmm. or Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, but, but, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark and Star Wars and that's about it. Two is yeah, all you get. Average, yeah. Mm. yeah. So I've got Rambo and Karate Kid, but still, you know, it's not my favorite. Casablanca is the perfect movie, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, it just, we can include Titanic in that list and probably, but the bottom line is they don't make movies like they do used to anymore. And, and uh, the thing is, it's now more of mechanics and special effects, but uh, no need to go there. The story is, is, is that I believe that that movie has a great deal to say to a lot of people and keep saying it because it was written so well by Robert Kamen that we're 30 years later, we're saying no mercy, sweep the leg, uh, wax on, wax off. We're still using the dialogue. Yeah. 
you know, mm. was still, it's the same guy that created Cool, you know, back in the 50s, you know, after John, I think the first Cool guy was John Garfield, and then mm-hmm. Brando, and then, and then, you know, James Dean, yeah. and then McQueen. So the bottom line was, you know, where those, those really good words stay with us, whether they sweep the leg or it's just, hey, man, you're a pretty cool cat, you know? Yeah. Or it's something coming right out of Blackboard Jungle, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. so these, 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 these classic moments, these classic words stay with us. And that's why I think the longevity of this picture, to answer your question, the longevity of this picture, it's endless. It's endless. And with, of course, Cobra Kai, that if, these, if the words were not written as well as the movies, there's, there's no way this thing would have gone Rotten Tomatoes at 100%. Yeah. You know, 24, 24 reviews, 40 million people watching it in the first three weeks. You know, there's too many other good things on to compete with. Yeah, it was it was amazing just how well that was uh, produced and how well it was received. And like I said, I'm chomping at the bit for season two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the Cobra Kai picked up so well. I mean, it was received so incredible. That new series just they they put that together with an incredible cast. The kids of Macho. I mean, it's just it's just they figured it out fantastically, and they they just mold together. I went to a, a comic book convention panel that uh, was headed by uh, William Zapka the week after Cobra Kai debuted, and it was like being in a rock concert. He was so over with that crowd. It was it was so fun to see that. <laughs> yeah, cool. and Billy does a great job. Oh yeah, and you know, and to this day, um, you know, he'll he'll I think I'll see him, and you know, we're going through. An autograph show tomorrow morning. I'm going to see him in um, in North Carolina. Where are we going? God, I can't think of it. Um, but in any case, we're in North Carolina doing an autograph show. And first one, Ralph and I and Billy have done together since the opening of the show. So it'll be interesting, you know. Oh, yeah. And um, it'll be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I look forward to seeing everybody. And we all have a lot of respect for each other. And I think, you know... Everybody is so blown away by what a great job he did with his with the work. I mean, I come on and you know do do what I do at the end, but the thing is, you know, he carried nine episodes, ten episodes. He brought so much humanity to what was at the time kind of a, you know, not a very fully fleshed out character, and he rounded it out and made it relatable. Which I mean, that is just a hell of a feat that he pulled. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't know, you know, to this day, because I, you know, we're always so busy sitting down and chatting with, with Billy about how much directors helped him because Josh and, and, and Hayden and John, they directed most of those 10 shows and um, they did it together. And these guys are great. I mean, to have three people who are not, doesn't, who don't have fragile egos, you know, three people who are just there to, prove a point of something they love. It's like Costner. You know, everything Costner yeah. does is a Western. Whether it's The Postman, whether it's Yellowstone, whether mm-hmm. it's Dancing with Wolves, whether, whether it's Revenge, or, you know, it's, it's uh, the one we did with, um, with, um, with um, Whitney Houston. Somehow oh, yeah. it's a Western. No matter what you right. see Kevin do, 
it's a Western, you know, and <laughs> it has, and he has his influence on something that makes you feel that we're out in the West, you know, it's a situation, yeah. it might be 1945, it might be 1985, but we're out in the West with Kevin, <laughs> you know? So anyway, so that, that's, these guys wrote great stuff. He acted terrific. I don't know how much they helped him. Um, I'll find out more because I'm going to be there now for the entire three months. Oh, awesome. We'll see exactly how, how these guys dealt with it last year. You know, because yeah. I'm a little prima donna, so I really need as much help as I can get. To, <laughs> you know, so uh, I'll see how it all works. You know, and I'm a team player, but you, they shoot block shooting and they shoot six, seven days per episode. And they're only 30 minutes which isn't a minimum amount of time. I mean, six, seven days to the 30 minutes is good. Oh, nice. We used to do six, seven days and do an hour show. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, that's just the history of, of his, the show. And I believe the, per, the perception of the show. And I think, uh, you know, Billy's going to have a great, Billy's going to have a great career, you know, and, and he's very creative anyway. We, we've had a lot of fun together and he's very creative with a lot of his projects. And I think now he'll be able to you know, sell other things because he's a wonderful editor and director. And Ralph was very strong in the show. I found Ralph really solid. Yeah. Really solid. Okay. Well, we'll definitely uh, get ready to uh, wrap this up. I do uh, just kind of want to touch on the, the the cream just once again uh, to kind of come back to that. You know, having both uh, you, sir, Mr. Logan Clark and Martin Cove together. Now, with it being CBD, is is there like an age limit where um, you know people have to be in order to buy this product? I believe to get CBD, you have to be 18 years old. Um, in some states, it might be 21, um, but certainly you have to be at least 18 in, in some states, and then in others, you have to be 21. It really depends on the state, the way they break down in the state, but... Um, CBD is becoming more and more acceptable, more and more with the Pharma, you know, with Pharmac and, and just more and more they're passing things to de- try to decriminalize hemp and the extracts and everything. So, and our factory is in Nevada. Our factory is in Nevada. Our product is, is manufactured there. It is uh, sent out from there. Our general offices are there. Our bank accounts are there. So we're, you know, we have much... It's much uh, more conducive um, in Nevada to, uh, you know, to CBD or anything, really. But it's a great, it's a wonderful cream, and it speaks for itself. CBD, or Marty's, Marty's com, and it is just, it is dynamite. And that concludes the conversation with uh, Mr. Cove and Mr. Clark. So I want to thank the gentleman again for coming on the show and, and you know, telling us amazing stories and also i just want to give a little shout out to uh, carly who runs the twitter account for uh marty's uh, cobra cove as well she's the one who's been putting us in contact and kind of organizing the the schedule for the interview so i want to give a shout out to her as well yes yes thank you very much and once again uh definitely check out the the product that they're talking about it sounds really interesting uh especially the older i get and i'm starting to get those uh aches and creeks that a typical 40 year old gets uh you can find it again at marty's cobracove.com yeah we'll have it in the show notes uh, as well and there was something that he mentioned that was very interesting to me he mentioned uh as something to kind of help with the parkinson's as well so i hope you know further studies 
can use that product for Parkinson's. So myself being a huge Back to the Future fan and Michael J. Fox being an idol of mine, I, I hope that this is some some sort of step in the right direction to helping you know with Parkinson's as well. So that is an amazing thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Anything that we can do to get the word out about that, by all means. So yeah, Tom, I'm I'm still wrapping my head around that. We just talked to you know Mister Mister Sensei Crease himself. Yeah, Cagney and Lacey, Rambo. Like again, he touched on things that we wanted to bring up. He just wow. Yeah, and very very generous with his time. Uh, if you are hearing this, Mister Cove, thank you again, Logan. If you're hearing this, thank you to you as well. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, guys. Um, so that's going to conclude this episode. And we hope that this uh, reaches, you know, perhaps uh, Ralph and Billy, you know, maybe, yeah. you know, maybe sometime down the line we can uh, yeah. speak to them. Yeah. Uh, Martin Cove can uh, vouch for us now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I will be seeing all three of them at the Rose City Comic Con here in Portland in September. Oh. So I'm definitely looking forward to you that. Have to press some palms, hand out some business cards. Sure, yeah. sure. I, I just hope he remembers me. You know, uh, <laughs> Mr. Cove. <laughs> you know, when uh, when I go say hello. So I'm definitely gonna try to take a picture with all three of them and maybe meet them at their booth and just say hello. So very cool. Um, yeah, just uh, I, I can't thank Mr. Cove enough for for uh, you know his uh, generous time uh, speaking to us and. And just, again, sharing amazing stories. I'm just repeating myself because it's, again, it's so surreal that we talk to an iconic character so yeah, and a great yeah. man. Very cool guy. So if you are tuning in to our coverage uh, for the very first time, we did cover all 10 episodes of the first season of Cobra Kai, individual episodes. We kind of tore down scene by, uh, you know, scene, by scene uh, discussed the dialogue, and just a very analytical coverage of Cobra Kai. And uh, Mr. Cove is our, is our seventh interview with a cast member. And um, yeah, that's, that's it for me. So if you haven't already done so, please uh, follow us on our Twitter account, at Cobra Kai Pod. Uh, there's a link on there somewhere that uh, is a one-stop shop. There's a page that I uh, posted on WordPress that has all of our reviews and all that good stuff, too. And we also have a group page, www.cobrakai.tvamb group, and you spell out the two periods there. All right. Uh, what about your uh, personal uh, Twitter account? That is going to be at Paul Stalgic if you want to follow me there. Uh, Tom joined me sometime last year to cover all four Karate Kid movies, and that's the reason that we are doing the Cobra Kai coverage. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we have... Uh, at this, at the time of this recording, we have one more interview lined up, and uh, we have another one that could possibly happen in the new year. So that's a little tease there. Mm. And what about you, Tom? Where can listeners get a hold of you? Well, you can find me at uh, Twitter at the Drunken Dork. You can also uh, find me on Facebook at Jake and Tom Conquer the Group, and you can hear episodes of Jake and Tom Conquer the World every uh, Sunday wherever you find podcasts. All right, and I want to thank uh, everyone for their continued support, and hopefully the, the new listeners can check out our previous coverage. So until then, uh, we'll see you next time. Try to be best, because you're only a man, and a man's got to learn to take it. Try to believe, though the going gets rough, that you got a hand tough to make it. History repeats itself, try and you succeed. Never doubt that you're the one, and you can have Nothing's gonna ever keep you down
Thank you for listening to the Court Parts Podcast Network. To listen to more Court Parts shows, visit courtemparts.com. Are you surprised at the longevity of the Credit franchise? Like, what do you think is about these movies and characters that continue to draw new generations to them? That sounds like a question you typed out. <laughs> <laughs> if you wanted okay, to join a no, a no Mercy, I, I wouldn't stop you. Or Sweep the Leg, something like that. Uh... <laughs> well, I think Sweep the Leg, Logan cries, so I won't say Sweep the Leg. <laughs> Logan cries. He gets goes and gets his gun when I say I say no mercy. He gets his gun when I say no mercy. But if I say shoot the leg because he can't dance, he he cries. And so, so the bottom line is I I can only say no mercy. You know I can't say he's doing. Fair enough. All right, so that was amazing. I just peed my pants. Excellent. 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 I put a check in the mail, residuals, just send it to Logan. He needs it. You got it. He's got no money for food. Yeah, Logan has no money for food. I will see you in Portland in September. Okay, very good. I'll be I'll there. See you guys later. Yep, and uh, take it easy. Ever, if you ever make it out to Detroit again, I will uh, love to buy a, a beverage of your choice or something. All right. I love Detroit. I did, I did you know, I did Sweet Honey and Desire in Detroit, in Rochester. <laughs>